welcome to another episode of uh, That's Effin' Weird. Uh, Alex couldn't make it today, but uh, me and Clark are just gonna gonna move forward with some cryptids and specifically in wartime. Yeah, so uh, nothing says stress like being in a war. <laughs> right. So um, weird things are gonna be, be found, I think. And uh, this whole episode kind of spawned because we were talking about a video game that's actually coming out in April. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's been in it's been in the talks for seven years when the first trailer came out, which uh, which is important to the original um, story here. So keep that date in mind. Seven years ago, that would have been what, we're looking at twenty sixteen now. Man, that's like that's so, like a cyberpunk's uh, development time. Yeah, seriously. So twenty sixteen is gonna be important for this story, but the video game. Uh, no free promotion here, but we're just doing it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's called Ad Infinitum, and it's coming out in April. And it is a World War One survival horror game where you play as a German soldier in the trenches, uh, and you're being stalked by a weird monster. And it's also deals with like the PTSD after he comes home. Um, I don't know much more than that. I've only watched some of the gameplay trailers. There's a new one that just came out about a month ago. Um, so the, they're pretty serious about the release date being April of this year, uh, April 20th, to be exact. But I find it fascinating that they started this game in 2016, or at least getting crowdfunding for this game in 2016, because that is where this story first really emerges. And it's the first cryptid we're going to talk about. Now, it kind of falls under the category of maybe urban legend or maybe creepypasta, uh, we don't really know where the origin of this comes from, but there are people that claim they have a letter that was sealed for a hundred years uh, by the British government. So the Battle of the Somme kicks off in July of 1916, um, and it's the worst battle, eh, you know, arguably, uh, casualty-wise, it is the worst battle of World War I uh, when it's all said and done. But, uh, you know, people can probably argue there's battles that you would rather not be in. Um, but the Somme uh, is particularly bloody in British history because it's basically their Antietam. It's their bloodiest single day in American history. The first day of the Somme uh, saw 57,000 British casualties. Uh, and that's in a single day. So that's the bloodiest day in British history, uh, military history. Um, so it's an important uh, battle. Well... There is a private who wrote a letter in the fall. Uh, so this battle goes on for obviously you know a few months. It goes off through the rest of the year, basically, of 1916. Um, at the beginning of the fall, a private named um, Alfred James Lewis, I believe is his name, um, writes a letter home, and it gets picked up by the censors because all letters, you know, all correspondence going home has to be censored. Um, and if it gives away any positions or things like that or any, you know, sensitive information, they have to take it and basically they can't send it home. So this letter ends up in the Imperial War Museum uh, in in England and it's sealed for 100 years. So it was finally released in 2016. That's where that uh, year becomes important again. Uh, and once again, we don't know if this there is this letter, there's pictures of this letter, but it's so hard to find any concrete evidence about this story. Uh, it's very hard to research. Um, you can't just do an easy Google search, put it that way. 
Um, so the story goes that uh, they find this letter, they unseal it, they open it up, and they you know finally release it to the public. And this private talks about being on the trenches of the psalm in the beginning of the fall of the battle and looking across you know no man's land they start hearing a commotion coming from the german trenches and uh their commander in a panic starts says to shoot up flares they think an attack is coming so better safe than sorry they start shooting up flares to light up no man's land to see if troops are coming over or not well when they shoot up the flares they don't see any troops coming over they just see panic and they see people running in the german trenches and they see this weird cloud creature. So this is all in the letter that this uh, Private Lewis wrote back to his parents, um, that he saw something that looked like a twisted a twisted mat, almost like a cloud, like going over itself. But it had limbs. It had very recognizable limbs. Like it had arms and legs, but it was a cloud, like a twisting cloud. And um, Ooh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting Lost vibes. Yeah, the smoke monster from Lost is exactly what I thought of when I read, like when I first heard this story. Um, so I'm glad you actually brought that up because that's the only thing I can kind of compare it to. Yeah. Mentally at least. So, um, private goes on to say that they're all kind of frozen. They're looking, they're at their posts, uh, watching what's going on. Cause you got to remember the trenches are about 200 meters from each other. So that's 180 yards, 170 yards, give or take. Um, so they're very close. Uh, and this is just how warfare on the Western front was. Um, so they can kind of see and hear what's going on. And every time they shoot up the flares, they kind of catch this monster snatching people out of the trench and, and literally like popping them, like pulling them apart, ripping arms off, ripping legs off, ripping them apart of the torso. And it says that at some point it looked like it was maybe consuming the torsos or it was just throwing them away. They're not sure, but it's just decimating these, uh, German troops and there's just panic. And they said the sound was terrible. They could hear the popping of and like tearing of flesh and stuff. So, uh, they just kind of hunker down and are shooting flares and seeing what's going on. And that's essentially how his letter ends. It goes, you know, that's basically all it really entails. Now on the flip side, because this letter came out, people started wanting to look at German records and they found some, uh, German, reports from around the same time at the same area and they were a lot more short and to the point and some of them said uh we were beset upon by a monster like that was a report just for one night like uh you know they had the date all the stuff and it was a report we were beset upon by a monster you know casualties uncertain we couldn't clean up the bodies yada 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 that was literally like all the details they basically gave um so that yeah that's that's the basis of this uh Possible urban legend, possible creepypasta, possible real monster sighting, um, possible psychosis episode. Who knows? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, and and it obviously inspired this video game, which I'm excited to play because I would love to play. A, I, I'm obsessed with World War One, by the way. As a military historian, World War One fascinates me. It's the closest. It, it doesn't. It doesn't get as much press as the second. It doesn't, and it should because it's so historically important and two it's so close to like steampunk that we've ever gotten like yeah yeah this stuff is crazy what was invented during world war one like it's really one of those times where the industrial age had outran our own logic and our own science and our own like 
even medicine, obviously, we, you know, it, it was just crazy to think we were able to build killing machines better than we were able to rationalize our own like <laughs> logic. <laughs> so it's such a yeah. wild, wild war. Because we, we didn't even have penicillin yet. No, yeah, I guess uh, that was too long after it. Yeah. 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 We create uh, war machines, but we haven't we haven't mastered antibiotics quite yet. Oh. <laughs> you said it's a fascinating uh, war. Yeah. Um, so but basically the 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 cryptid story, I mean, you you do have somewhat you I mean, you got documents from from the British and the Germans, right? Yeah. Now the the German ones, I haven't I haven't heard any like deep like a uh, proof on where they were where they were like uh, drawn from. The British ones are claimed to have come from the Imperial War Museum and have been buried there under Section H, which Section H is basically like their X Files, I guess. Oh, cool. Um. So yeah, uh, as as deep as you could bury them, and they were buried for a hundred years. So it just, it's it's kind of interesting. This came out in 2016, and the Battle of the Somme was in 1916. So it makes sense. It was buried for a hundred years, and then they were declassified. So and it's take it, you know, for what you I will. Mean, I mean, that's good enough for me. I mean, we got. I mean, at least at least we got. It's like I'll say one and a half sources. Um, what do, are you aware of any? What, what before the uh the british document what was any of this um like hearsay what, what was there like uh urban legend uh, amongst troops that like kind of passed down verbally so not amongst the troops but the area of the somme battlefield where they were um, now the somme is a river so mm -hmm. a lot of these battles are named after rivers and everything there was a village in the area where they were, um, where this front was, where this happened. And, uh, I mean, obviously the front is long, it's miles long, but, um, in this particular section where this, uh, battalion of fusiliers were, where this was reported at, there was a village from the 1600s that was abandoned. And there is a museum, um, for the whole area, uh, on this place. And not only does it talk about the battle of the sun, but it actually has like the whole area of this place. And um, there's a wood cutting in the museum from this, uh, like, I think it dates back to the 1600s. I'm not sure. I think it's early 1600s, uh, early to mid. And in the wood cutting, there's actually like a swirling looking uh, like cut. And there's people and there's a town. And there are basically the translation in French uh, would have been like middle French at this time. Basically says... Um, uh, something along the lines of like the uh, the shapeshifter attacked again. Um, the village is abandoned. <laughs> that is crazy. So there's like rumors that there was a village in that area that had to be abandoned because this some shapeshifting creature kept like attacking and killing all the children and things like that. So it was like a it was a rumored demon in the area, but uh, but nobody I guess inhabited that. Like I guess they abandoned that village and then. Next thing you know, you have this account from World War One. So, three hundred years later, that's still like I, I really like that. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of uh, I was uh, this channel, uh, Mysterious Shout Out, Mysterious Middle East. Um, love to have you on the podcast. But the, uh, they made a like a a little mini documentary on this one specific creature 
that um, it was humanoid. It wasn't smoke or anything. It was humanoid, but but it was in the Middle East. I want to say it was a, somewhere in Afghanistan, and they said it was a specific kind of jinn for that region, and uh, that soldiers from several different like there, there was a town. And the townspeople always knew to go in after a certain time of day. And when there were soldiers occupying, I forget which war this was. I'm terrible with this. But when soldiers were occupying, there were several people that were uh, like kind of like what you were describing, like they were taken or ripped apart uh, like that. They were they were attacked by these things that would stay still and then uh like move like move in like closer to them they they were like watching or whatever but but it was this long thing i should watch it again and talk about it but it's very similar to what you're talking about i i i don't i mean from someone rationally looking at this i don't know what people are thinking if they're going like hmm well maybe it's like nerves from war and lack of sleep and low provisions but it's weird that like this the same kind of thing crops up throughout different timelines of like their soldiers and then something preys on them and it's never caught or found or uh i don't know this is just like uh imagination fuel for me i love it yeah the the predator story on uh, yes <laughs> yeah and i think that's they, the thing. The, oh i watched the new predator which is actually pretty good yeah but i think that's a i think for any military unit that's a it's got to be like an ultimate boogeyman thing. It's because you're trained and you're like, you know, you're supposed to be like the, the ultimate badass. You have the best equipment. You're going into a foreign place and you don't know where you are. You know what I mean? Like that's a. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, well there was a there was a in Vietnam. There was like um, there was a story which Blomkamp, Neil Blomkamp made a, a short oat studio movie about about uh, this creature that was essentially doing the same thing but it was like a guy that in Blomkamp's story it was a guy that was filled with so much grief because he lost his family through just uh you know people indiscriminate killing during in this village and uh he kind of like transcended reality and then started walking around and but there was like a local legend about this river and and the same kind of thing and then he became that legend and then was tearing through uh american troops and they had to like isolate him and study him and stuff and then he wound up killing all of them but uh yeah same kind of thing these these wartime stories of like just one creature that's like completely mysterious and unknown like wreaking havoc hmm. well it's interesting to bring up vietnam because i've got two from vietnam now oh okay all right so uh, I'm going to do the first one because you kind of mentioned, you kind of led into this. So uh, the first one's not as compelling because there's less evidence of it or less stories, I guess. But um, a lot of night patrols in Vietnam would claim that they saw a, uh, a creature that would jump from the trees, like limb to limb in the jungle and everything. And it had bat wings and it was distinctly feminine. So they called it the bat witch. And... <sighs> Um, I don't actually have the Vietnamese word for it, but locals kind of confirmed or whatever that like there were certain places in like in the jungle that the Viet Cong wouldn't go into at night for that purpose because this creature apparently uh, like stalked above you. 
And uh, so it's kind of it's kind of strange. It's almost like a Mothman, but it's like a yeah. Bat. <laughs> so. Oh man, I loved I loved the first Mothman movie. Uh, so good. Yeah, that's a good movie. It, it's cre- hello, John Clyde. Just so, it's so cre- it's uh, it's no there's no jump scares. It's just unnerving the whole way through. <laughs> yeah. I always like doing uh, this voice. I just want to call people all the time and be like, great tragedy on you. I know. I wish I had like a voice changer that could do that live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So that's the first one I want to bring up. But the second one I've got a lot more info on. Um, and this one's probably a lot more well known. Uh, so it starts with an American patrol that's out that gets into a firefight at dusk with a. Uh, with a Viet Cong uh, unit, and during the firefight, they see some kind of creature. It's ape-like. It has kind of dark black and like reddish brown fur, and it rushes at the American troops. Like it's uh, apparently it's getting so dark to where the only thing they can really see is like the muzzle flashes and stuff. So they're trying not to give their position away, but this thing rushes them, and they have to open fire on it. So they open fire. And um, this thing is incredibly aggressive and they hit it enough times to where I guess it backs off and runs away and it goes back towards the Viet Cong and then they start hearing the Viet Cong screaming out a word over and over again and the Viet Cong retreat. So they're like, okay, well, we just saw a wild animal and then heard a bunch of stuff and then all of a sudden the Viet Cong retreated. Uh, So we don't know what that is. They go back and... um, they report and all this stuff and uh, they try to figure out and eventually they talk to some locals and the locals say, oh, you ran into the Batutu. And uh, that's the the word for it. What the Americans eventually call it is the rock ape um, because they will come in contact with it again and again and again after this. So um, this is a large primate, not large as Bigfoot, but like six foot tall. Um, so think of you know, average male size, basically hyper aggressive. Uh, yep. Hyper aggressive, which is not Bigfoot in North America. Uh, yeah. You know, we're used to being shy or being kind of reserved. Uh, this is hyper aggressive, six foot tall. Um, the reason they called them rock apes is because their preferred method of aggression would be to throw rocks at American troops. Um, these things were so commonly seen that one hill uh, in one of the patrol areas was named Monkey Hill because if you wanted to find them, like you almost certainly could go there and they would be there. Uh, and this is like reported with so many troops. And then obviously uh, locals and on the Viet Cong side, they would say, yeah, you don't want to mess with these things. If they get close to you, they're going to like, they're going to tear you apart. Dude, so. where do you fall on the whole big, because this does kind of lean into like big foot, like, do, do you think it's plausible to say that there is a extinct or close to extinct primate line that fits these descriptions? Cause they're all over the place. You got like the Yeti, the, this kind of thing, you got the North American Bigfoot and there's several cultures that, that have these. I remember my science teacher saying that, well, like if you go like, okay, from like Nebraska all the way through the wilderness up into Canada and Alaska and stuff, there's, there's just so many square miles of just undeveloped, just, you know, forest and, and essentially jungle. I mean, there's a possibility that there's like a couple like, you know, 
very close to extinct primates that are fit these descriptions but i i don't know it i think that when i hear something repeated constantly there might be something there like those videos where hunters will just hear these it's not a coyote it's not a fox it's not a this it's just like it's just crazy screams out in the middle of nowhere and it clearly freaks them out it's not some janky footage of something in back in the woods or whatever like I, I i have a feeling there might be stuff that probably eludes us i don't know yeah there's definitely um and beyond saying the word cryptid there's actually species that uh we just don't know. We just haven't found. They're so rare, and you just don't come across them. Um, the Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Yowie—you know—that's what Australians call it. Um, Yeti, wherever it is, it being so widespread, it's similar to like the the tales of dragons. Yeah, um, it has to have something, whether it be like a something we've all seen through the historical record that we've kind of agreed upon. Like that's the story we've all just landed on. Or if there is an actual animal out there, um, I find fascinating too. I'm just going to narrow down in North America because we live both in North America. So um, regionally, how it changes, I find fascinating. So uh, obviously, uh, you know, indigenous Native Americans have been telling stories about this before even uh, Europeans landed here. But now, even in modern day, when people say like in Florida, they, they call it the skunk ape in Florida and the way they describe it, the way its hair is thinner and it's redder and things like that versus in the Pacific Northwest, it's, it's, you know, seen as taller, a uh, little bigger and darker hair and, and thicker fur and things like that. Those are like evolutionary traits that something would have. If okay. That makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, it's a hotter, more humid climate. Think about the deer in the Southeast versus the deer and even like Maine. Yeah. Um, because of the climate, because of their, they're much smaller. Um, mammals are smaller in the South and the Southeast. Um, that's just how they grow. They have other predators to deal with, mostly reptiles, insects, diseases, other things that they don't have to deal with up in like Maine. So you have 200, 230, 240 pound deer in Maine and you come down to the Southeast and you know, your white tailed deer are, 150 yeah. pounds 200 a 200 pound deer is a big deer in the south um it's not it's a small deer up north <laughs> yeah and, and i just i you know i find that fascinating is like we think of bigfoot as maybe being like one single thing all across the board and no technically you would think the way the sightings are kind of makes sense the way you see it in arkansas the way you see it in like the hills of tennessee the way you see it in florida versus what you see in the pacific northwest i find that fascinating because the descriptions are similar but just different enough where i'm like you know what that kind of makes sense like something would yeah. grow bigger up there something would have darker fur something would have thicker fur something would be more water repellent um the same way dogs you know kind of uh, when left to, when not force bred, but like yeah. natural dog breeds that have grown in certain areas of the world, the way they develop. That's mm -hmm. what, you know, Bigfoot would do as well, technically. So just food for thought. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like there's, you know, you know how in, in humans, there's psychosis, there's schizophrenia, there's all these different mental disorders we've classified because it's, our best interest to classify them but like what if there is a 
like what if the the things in um vietnam are just like psychotic uh orangutans <laughs> like well, like it's kind of funny because orangutans were indigenous to that area but not for a thousand years until that so they had been uh up to that point there had not been orangutans in vietnam for a thousand years yeah so, um, yeah. The only native monkeys to that area were gibbons, and gibbons are about twenty pounds. They're tiny. yeah, they're tiny little guys. Yeah, they're cute too. Yeah, I uh, I uh, I was watching a video the other day of an orangutan uh, breaking open nuts and using a rock as a hammer, and and showing the other monkeys, and they were just like watching, and it and it's creepy because uh, there's more like reports of them using um sticks to catch fish and stuff like that there's photos of not specifically orangutans but more chimpanzees using sticks and uh figuring out how to use basic tools uh that kind of stuff i find fascinating like the uh the where they've done experiments where they've they've uh they'll teach a monkey how to open a coconut on an island where they don't understand what you know what to do with coconuts and then they the, it, that information spreads among them and then they they utilize them and this is all documented but uh yeah it's weird and i think there are man the, the what i think the most people the where people doubt are they're like okay we got satellites everywhere we've mapped and charted everything like why haven't we just have a bigfoot body in front of us or something like that um but if you think about like the vastness of some wilderness out there where, you know, where you go into the Marianas trench or you have like these big oil rigs that are drilling and stuff like that. And then we find these crazy stuff. We have, we had absolutely no idea existed. Like recently within this decade, uh, we we've, we've, we've caught them on video and they're insane looking things that are like alien, but like translate that to like the continents and and if something is endangered or on the brink of extinction, like I I feel like there could be a very, very intelligent primate, you know, lineage that is just kind of like learned to like be like evasive. Um, and, and then you have the other reason people are like really skeptical is there's been an, enough pranksters and people wanting attention to fabricate evidence, which just keeps adding to the doubt. But if you if you think about it, it 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 could it I don't know. To me, it makes sense. I'm not saying the the traditional Bigfoot's just out there roaming around, but there could be something close to it that fits all these descriptions. Um, man, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you don't like it. It's hard to believe. In- I don't know. And maybe this is just American pride. It's hard to believe in like modern North America. It's like, Oh, we would have found something by now, but same time. I mean, yeah. I mean, the North American continent's huge. Yeah. I I went hiking in, in, uh, uh, where, uh, North Carolina and like Tennessee kind of meet. Like when you're out on those parks, it, when you're on foot, where there you don't have vehicles to just like traverse tons of land when you're on foot and you get up on the hills and like look at how vast it just keeps going and going and going there's a reason people disappear in parks like i mean uh 
it it's like the most beautiful places I've seen, but at the same time, they're so vast. Um, I I could I could I've just seen enough to where like I could I could at least put it on the back burner that something like that is out there and evasive, but I don't know. Uh, I all man, what one day I do want to talk about all the all the four one one missing persons and oh, yeah. uh in uh in parks that just leads right into that 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 is so creepy and uh then all the adjacent like tunnel systems that we have all over north america that uh i i I don't feel like as many people are of are aware of as they should but there's like old train systems and tunnels and mine systems and just tunnels all over the place that have been bored throughout the decades where uh i don't know it's just more more mystery and there's uh I mean that just made me think about the one in Russia the what do they call it um railway 3 or whatever the one that's Stalin wanted for his like escape if he needed to and like now it's just an it's not abandoned but I guess like only higher echelon people know about and it's like this whole railway system that's for the higher ups to escape if they need to Oh I don't doubt it at all I mean if you just look at the catacombs catacomb systems in France oh, they're gosh. they're they're ridiculous they're yeah. they're Un, it's it's like a complete it's like it's like the underworld like there's mazes of of miles and miles and miles of tunnel systems and and then the other thing is like it's france so we you know it's a lot easier to see and understand how vast those networks are but what i'm interested in is all the old tunnel systems in in old russia because they also have a ridiculous amount of of subterranean systems and since the way that country runs, you know, you don't see it as much. They're not as transparent. But uh, man, I would love, I would love, I would love. I, one of my favorite stories is like uh, I think I mentioned it to you a long time ago. Like one of the czars getting stuff that was preserved from the Library of Alexandria and getting it, like eventually some a small cache of scrolls and stuff were given to one of the czars before all of them fell and it was like hidden in, in some of their subterranean stuff. But uh, again, most of my stuff is, is hit and miss when it comes to factual, but it's, it's at least fun. <laughs> oh yeah. I got to find a way to put the copper pipes in China in there too. So. Oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Copper pipes in China. Yeah. You never heard about the copper pipes. So somewhere in a, I forget which province it is in China, but there's these copper pipes they found that go like deep, deep, deep underground. And uh, and it's in a place where they've never mined. They've never done anything like that. So they don't know why they have these copper pipes. Like if it's, I mean, it would be vinyl. It's not even big enough to be ventilation. Like they're, they're not like but three inches like wide or whatever. Just, yeah, just Google copper pipes in China and you'll. Okay. We're going on a I mean, I, the, that woman, you, do you know that woman that they found that was preserved? Like uh, she was buried underground in this province that's, uh almost more tro- the way it looked on the documentary it was kind of more tropically it was it was more uh warmer climate but this woman was preserved uh i mean she looks really gross now like her skin is like jelly but she still has skin and um it was some weird preservation method that they used and in combination with the underground system that they put her in and uh, then, you know, they had this big room full of uh, her dishware and all the stuff she liked in life. And um, they found her 
and they were just astonished at her preservation. They only found one other body that that was embalmed similarly, and I think it was a dude, and he was he was close to that region. Uh, but it it the, the way they put it was it was it was kind of this aristocratic uh, level of people that knew a guy that knew how to do this weird uh, embalming technique and and they've only found a few bodies that have done this but uh but the lady one was really weird because i mean her skin the subdermal fat layer was still there but it was it's gross to look at her but it's crazy that whatever they did the skin actually survived um but 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 then you when you get into china then you i, I want to know about those pyramids that they're that the chinese government have have planted trees over have you seen these no i'd have to take a look at that okay so it's i believe it's more northern china in in and it's just farmland it's just desolate farmland um and these they they are actively farming all around these things and they are they are legit human built structures now they are very weathered and there's a lot of dirt layer on top of them but um people showed a lot of interest uh a few years ago like tons of interest and they were google mapping it and they were and and it got to a point where where um foreigners were boots on the ground getting into these regions and filming them they would and then posting it on youtube so the Chinese government responded in their classic way. They decided to plant tons of trees all over them, at, like saplings, and to where, you know, satellites couldn't see them and stuff, which is just a move. It's like, who cares? But it's a move that just fuels conspiracy theorists. So um, part of it is like, it's like uh, the Tartaria thing where there's there were these, there were these uh, structures built all over the world and and then it fragmented and then lost to time kind of stuff. But there are structures that are are still there that the Chinese government has planted trees over just to just to avoid the attention. But that kind of stuff, like ancient stuff in parts of the world where it's they're not as transparent, it just is. Oh, man, I can't get enough of it. But I got to add the copper pipes to the list. Copper pipes. Also, the missing ninth legion. Missing so the ninth, ninth, no, the ninth legion. Sorry, the ninth legion was in um that's the one in Scotland. I forget which legion it is. The missing Roman legion in China is a different one. Um, I can't remember oh. which. I think it's the fourth or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard about that one? The missing Roman legion in China. No, I but wasn't there uh talks of that? There was a missing legion in um Germany. Like they like old Germany. They went through uh uh and and were like ambushed in like the woods or something. That's what the legend goes. Uh, but that's the only one I'm familiar with. Legion. And it was, the, uh, so the missing ninth Legion is the only one that is historically documented as we don't okay. know what happened to them. Um, okay. Uh, the ninth Legion went into Scotland. This is when the Scots were the picks. And, um, basically they went across Hadrian's wall, uh, and went to Scotland and disappeared and their banner was taken and all that stuff. And they're actually in the historical record as, um, so legions were never restocked. They just be, it became new legions. So like, okay, we know from the record, like what happened to each legion. It's like, this is the first, second, third, and the ninth legion is literally listed as like missing in action, basically according to Roman records. Whoa. And nobody so knew there could happened. be like a mass grave somewhere over there. Yeah. Somewhere up in Scotland, either they, 
intermixed, dispersed. They got beat really bad and then had to flee. Something happened, but like, yeah, there's there's a couple of theories on that. I could go back into my research on that one. I've talked about it, I think, before in other podcasts and stuff. But yeah, uh, but that's something to talk about too. But there's another missing, it's, and this one isn't like documented as a missing legion because it wasn't so well documented. Like the Ninth Legion was actually like well decorated, so that's why it was such a big deal that it gets like it's missing from the historical record. Um, but there is a legion that went uh, as far like east as they could go and apparently they say it disappeared into the gobi desert okay and uh and they don't know like i don't know in the numbers or anything of like what legion it was or, or if it was just one of their actual like elite legions or if it was just a roman army thing but um they went into the desert apparently disappeared and uh they're they just kind of listed it as like oh yeah that's one of those historical mysteries where they just disappeared in the desert and they're gone forever but there are Chinese, like native Chinese in the western provinces of China, uh, west of the Gobi, who have blonde hair and blue eyes, similar to like Roanoke. <laughs> similar to like, yeah, Roanoke they just shacked up. They're like, uh, fuck it, we're not going back. Yeah, similar, similar <laughs> to Roanoke, where you mysteriously have Native Americans with blue eyes. And, and yeah, yeah. Oh and man, I still want to. Like, they disappeared, and it's like, really? Because it seems like they just intermixed and married in and got happy. <laughs> but yeah that's what i think happened to these romans because there's native chinese that have genes that are roman genetics basically they've done like blood tests on them it's like oh you have green eyes that's because you're from this like you have the recessive gene from the romans here and like well at least they didn't get diatlov passed yeah <laughs> like they just didn't it wasn't something horrible they just started families uh I mean, could you imagine being that far from rome too and then that happened to you god I don't. Well, first off, like on foot navigation, I've I I I for like a camping thing I was a part of. They had some people that trained us with compasses and maps and everything, and I was decent at it. Like I could I could find my way around with a map and a compass. What what what's what's crazy is is like the amount of space that you're talking about traversed. Like oh, yeah. like that is like you are you're on a alien planet at that point like to them like you are so far away that your cli the climate the the geology and like nothing looks like home and you're way out there i would imagine that eventually people would get lost um like when i hear of st people disappearing like that far back my mind always goes back to like the franklin expeditions cuz cuz that we're closer to that in history and we have documentation and stuff and sometimes stuff happens like people get lost, stranded, stuck and run through their provisions or can't find food or whatever. And it just becomes a nightmare. Uh, like it's creepy, but I mean, you get far away from what you're used to. I could imagine having your compass all turned around. I don't know. Yeah, People don't understand, like, uh, you know, think modern military right now, you do an eight month deployment and stuff like that. And that's, you know, you know, God bless you for it. But uh, like these people went for like the Persians. Think about like the Persians invading Greece. Yeah. They, that was like a four month trek to Greece <laughs> to fight the war. Man. And then you fight the war and then you've got four months back to your home. And then yeah. think about Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great going all the way to India. Years. That's insane. That's and insane. A two year campaign basically to just to get the expand. I mean, 
it's insane. I mean, yeah, you're not maybe fighting as many battles and stuff like that. You don't have as much resistance, there, but you are like, you are taken on foot from Macedonia to India <laughs> over to your like walking <laughs> or on horse at best. And most of the times you're walking your horse because you can't ride them. You only ride them in battle. So it's like, I mean, just walking the world essentially. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I understand the mindset of like conquests and how like a conquest can be satisfying. But like if someone was like, uh, you know, we could march on foot up to Chicago and like take that over. I'm be like, I don't know. It's a really long way. Yeah, that's a long walk. <laughs> that's over some rough terrain. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm cold. good. I don't have. Let's just stay jacket. here and develop weapons. We'll be good. As long as we do that, we, they won't be a threat. I don't know about you, but it's February and it's 72 out where I live right now. I don't want to go to Chicago. <laughs> right. Oh, no, no. I remember being on the Great Lakes uh, once I, I was uh, coming back home. So I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll check it out. So I went in that like Lincoln Park stretches all the, the edge of, of Chicago to the lake. And I stood out there and, I, and there, there were still like, you know, ice this thick and it was in plates that was just like creaking because of all the cracks. And it was like, it almost like tectonic plates of just ice. And uh, I stood at the edge of the water and uh, took my glove off and it felt like, like razor, like exacto knives cutting your fingers. When that wind comes off of the lake and just hits you, the chill factor, I don't think I really ever registered how like cold, cold can be out, just out in, out, out there. Uh, it was, unbelievably cold it that was like a new level of cold for my brain um but i put my glove on i got out of there took a few pictures i was like all right i'm good i've seen it definitely glove back on yeah uh i couldn't imagine like you i mean you would put and all this traversing you would have to be extremely aware of weather patterns of like, I'm sure you had guys in your company that were looking at stars and all kinds of stuff to kind of get their take on what it's going to be like, wherever you're going, when you're going. Uh, but man, what a time to be alive. And you're picking people up along the way. It's adaptability. Like you got to yeah. get the locals. You got to get translators. You, you forget. You don't even speak the language. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I respect the hustle, man. Like that's, that's another level. That's another thing about like, um, studying like uh colonial Latin America blows my mind. People think like the conquistadors just land and like walk in and do stuff. And it's like, uh, no, they had to like, they had people like, man, actually I'll go back to a story that'll blow your mind, but continuing on with this, like, they came in and landed in the Yucatan. They meet the Mayans. The Mayans hate the Aztecs. They're like, yeah, we'll help you throw. <laughs> we'll overthrow those guys. Everyone thinks that like Hernan Cortez with 400 guys were just like so awesome. They were able to overthrow a million people in the Aztec empire. <laughs> right, right. And it's like, no, they had a lot of people that did not like the Aztecs on their side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another uh, like common thing, people are like, oh, Cortez, when he landed, he burned the ships to tell his men there's no going back. He didn't burn the ships. He disassembled the ships, brought them inland rebuilt the ships in the lake around Tenochtitlan and used them as naval support to actually like threaten the palace 
Like they did. Oh, I didn't know that. They did brilliant military things. These people are not stupid. Yeah, they were no misguided. They were definitely <laughs> misguided by their values of the age. Like yeah. we look at them as primitive now, not just the people, but even the, the conquistadors, we look at them as maybe primitive now. It's like, oh, look at them, their religious fervor and things like that. But no, they, they did brilliant, brilliant military things. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, the one thing that vex me is, uh, is Oak Island. Like when you talk about how, what's his name, disassembled the ship and built it in the lake, it's like, that is, that is a crazy feat. Like, like if you see like the, how big some of the timbers were that built those ships that crossed the Atlantic, they, we're talking about some serious engineering and and uh, grunt work. Just do just even I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine yeah. like just like, taking like, apart uh, uh you know a boat for like twenty people that like the the kind of sizes they had uh in in Egypt like those kind of smaller raft boats like i couldn't imagine doing that let alone a, a ship um but but it, going to like easter island like the, the the engineering of of whatever that those shafts were that had these lumber and these water traps and these layers and the depths they were digging in like like uh geol uh geological composition like soil composition that you wouldn't really want to dig in like the the engineering feats of of these people way back where the, the kind of the idea is that they were primitive or they didn't they didn't know much is like oh, you try doing some of that <laughs> yeah no uh, nobody, <laughs> nobody's studying that stuff now yeah i know I'm like people the what no, i'm just saying like not your average person but like these people had to not only be uh like cognizant ship you know like they had to be sailors and they also had to be able to be shipbuilders. Yeah. I mean, even like a, a movie like master and commander. I don't know if you've ever seen master and commander. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. So. Um, probably one of the best historical movies realistically ever made. Um, that gives you a good idea of like when these people had like, you got into naval warfare and your ship got shot full of holes and stuff like that. Like you had to repair it. You didn't, you're halfway across the world. You didn't put it in port. Yeah. Like, you have fire control before it was fire control. You know what I mean? Like you're on a wooden yeah. ship. You have resin. You go to an island. You cut down some trees and you patch your boat. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, you've got like these days you would need engineers. You'd have like skilled laborers. You have unions. <laughs> you have all this yeah. stuff. You know what I mean? You'd have all this stuff going on. And it's like, no. I'm on my coffee break, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, things have gotten like we've 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 advanced in these really specific ways of like mass production and mass like uh, we can we can put up steel buildings really fast, these kind of things. But there's like um, there is definitely a lost art to stone like masonry and um, uh, woodwork um, like I've I've told you before the 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 house that my folks are in was like pre 1850 and, and the, the, some of the woodwork in the subfloor is still there. The stonework still there. Uh, and it's, uh, more stable than the addition on the house that was built in like the eighties. <laughs> like it, it, like it's not going anywhere. 
Now the edition on the the 80s edition, you know, that might have to be worked on down the road, but not not the main not the main stuff. Uh yeah, I I, I just don't get it. I don't get how how they knew some of this stuff and I, I guess they had to. Uh I don't I sometimes I don't understand how we didn't go from like temporary dwellings to like massive stone structures in a relative short period of time. Uh but uh, where there's a will, there's a way, I suppose. But there's like two mysteries that are still bothering me. And and that I've already mentioned Oak Island, the, the level of sophistication that went on on that island for who knows what is under the ground there. And then the other one is uh, if anyone that's listening can help me locate it, I am I'm trying to find more information on it, but it's the Siberian domes. I, I want to know more about those because there's several reports of people going up that were exploring, hunting, all of this stuff. There were sketches made of these domes that were submerged in uh, kind of marshy areas up in there. And uh, but but the consistent report was anytime anybody got close to them, they'd get sick and, and leave. Uh, and so I, I want to know. So if anybody knows anything about the Siberian domes, please. These like earthen domes, or are they like? No, they were. Um, they were. They were like these uh, smooth. I don't know what material they were made out of, but they were these smooth domes that were uh, semi-submerged, and and as time went on, they were. They got. They kept sinking. They kept more and more so. So I don't know what they were. I don't know if they were like just some structures that somebody built like a long time ago, um, but whatever they were, were 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 sinking and um the most modern expedition that i know that was specifically trying to find that it was a whole bunch of guys that went backpacking with some scientists they wanted to get like an accurate measuring of of, of if they could find them if so they found the area they found them kind of the marshes but there was this one uh evening where they set up tents and uh they woke up like really early morning and and one of the guys was like so sick he he was lethargic and he just they had to leave because he was sick. So they left and it's still like this big question and and there's very little information on it. But but there's a few people that are aware of these things and I just don't know I don't know what they are, um, uh, or or why they would be that far up north or like the places they were, um. I don't know. It goes back to like, I do feel like we had like several iterations of human civilization advancing and then getting reset due to natural disaster, whatever, whether it be asteroid, uh, uh, volcano flooding, all these different crazy events that we know happened. And then we probably did like what we're talking about with the stone masonry and the crazy engineering that they were able to do with very simple tools like you get to that level and 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 civilization advances and then you have some cataclysm that resets everything and bottlenecks us and then you know we restart i do think that that's happened several times on this planet specifically with humans um uh i'm not saying they had like you know flying cars or anything i'm just saying like i do think we we did reach certain levels of of uh a different type of advanced technology like whether it be they figured out how to cut and set rock really really good and they were like artisans at it and then something happened and then we lost all that information and we 
we you know we dig up stuff and we're like how the fuck do they do this you know uh so i don't know i don't i don't know i don't know what your take is that but man those siberian domes like the chinese pyramids now now the copper pipes are are plaguing me so i've got a lot of research to do that <laughs> well yeah they um you know in uh native american tradition too which uh most notably the hopi i think have the best articulated way of saying that uh i believe they say we're in the fourth world and the fifth world is coming oh and man that's their Another reset uh, yeah, that's their whole, uh, I guess you call it a doomsday prophecy. It's not really, but yeah, their reset. They, they according to the, um, most of the lore, we've been in multiple like uh, stages of, I guess, yeah, uh, re-evolution, I guess is the best way to say it, instead of evolution. But yeah, we've been reset a few times, and yeah. they describe it as like the new world, and in this world, now we're in this world. So we're in the fourth, we're going into the fifth. Well, you know, there are reports of ancient man being aware of solar cycles really well, and that sometimes when, okay, so there's a few terrifying scenarios I'm going to throw out. Uh, one is asteroid from the Torrid Meteor Stream. Like, uh, like we, if we get, because, you know, all that rock that, that we pass through once every what that thousand or more years i i'm terrible at numbers right now but like let's say even if it's once every ten thousand years i don't i don't remember but we do pass close or through every now and again uh on a long enough timeline so you have like uh the impact that they think that really did do the most damage to the dinosaurs was the one that they recently found i say recent probably like a decade or more but when they were doing um surveying in the gulf of mexico uh they found a huge asteroidal impact that's very ancient and uh would have caused a lot of north american damage in terms of weather patterns uh just every like the sky blackening essentially um and uh, amongst other things fires and 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 the uh crazy tidal waves and stuff so then and they found it by doing like radar surveys underwater lidar or whatever they do to survey where they're going to drill um and then so we got asteroids to worry about then we've got uh coronal ejections from the sun to worry about which does seem to be on a relative uh according to what we've seen in in you know geology and whatnot it seems to happen at, at in intervals so um like the last the last bad um uh one we had uh that that we in recent memory to humans is when it was i believe it was in the 1800s when we had telegraph where there was a, a solar flare uh that caused like a magnetic disruptions strong enough for it to overcharge the telegraph wires and catch telegraph paper on on fire um, there were buildings that caught on fire because they were wired up and stuff like that. So that happened in the 1800s. So imagine if we had a similar scenario with all the cables and stuff we have in the sky now, like, and all of the modern houses that are built are just dry rock and, <clears throat> and a uh, two by four construction it's just wood. I mean, the amount of damage that would cause would, is un unknown. It would be bad. Uh, then you have the poles switching. So we do know that over time, the magnetic poles switch or flip 
which there's a when that happens, there's a temporary kind of shields down mode where our Van Allen belt and, and magnetic uh, outer atmosphere isn't as strong. So we get pelted by uh, solar radiation more. Uh, and then, you know, then geological stuff like like earthquakes, uh, volcanoes, uh, crazy st- anything that happens in the ocean that's magnificent enough, it, it, it caused tidal waves that take out coasts. Uh, so we've got like a lot of things to worry about, but most of them stem from something that the solar system is doing. Like it's some outside influence that disrupts stuff here. And then and then, uh, you know, the world is just reset. And you have enough humans that basically cockroach and survive. And and you go into parts of Europe and you have you find these places that were specifically carved out. And there's some in North America where, you know, they were underground cities that, that were not like catacombs for dead people. They were, they were dwelling places. And it's like maybe they knew something. Maybe they they were like anticipating something. And then over the years, it becomes prophecy and, you know, that kind of thing or legend. But. I, uh, I, but it, 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 it kind of alerts me whenever you see the super rich, like making these, these bunkers all over the place, like in modern day. Um, I don't know. It seems like the sun is on a, on a relative, uh, clock where it does something. And our earth is on a relative clock where sometimes our, our magnetic poles do some trickery. And and, you know, it's very possible that uh, Antarctica was very lush at one point. I know that they have found the oldest known map of Antarctica has like drawings of animals and trees on. it, And it was when they were charting through like down the tip of South America and, and all of this stuff. And one of the older have you seen that map by any chance? I've seen a lot of old cartography with stuff like that on it. Yeah. Well, there's one specifically that that shows uh, 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 Antarctica with life on it and, and, you know, stuff going on on it. And uh, but the the kicker is, is that it's thought to be a uh, right now. It's a very, very old map, but it's thought to be a, a copy of an even older map that we've lost. But but this copy of it survived. So, you know, there's stuff like that. I mean, it would not surprise me if they found some, uh, you know, intelligently designed structures under the ice shelf at some point. I mean, we all know that it's very difficult for anybody but, uh, you know, joint scientific and military efforts between countries to go down there and do stuff. And they say it's because they want to keep everything unpolluted because they're doing ice core samples to understand the makeup of our our planet so we we know what's going on atmospherically like from a historical timeline and tap into water that's ancient to figure out what its composition is which makes sense you don't want to have a bunch of people running around there contaminating that but uh it's all weird it's all very weird and it worries me too because it because uh you know like what if the poles shifted and tennessee became the next ice cap i'd be screwed all my plans like it like a bunker doesn't uh, I, I would have a whole nother layer of the bunker I'd have to get out. It'd be bad. I'm trying to think of what the opposite side of the world would be from there. Uh. <laughs> yeah, like India. What are we like directly under Tennessee is some, some India somewhere in there. Yeah, either that or you'll be some random place in the middle of the Pacific. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it might be. I'm try yeah, I'm trying to it's been a while since I've had like a globe in front of me. <laughs> uh but yeah, um the last major coronal mass ejection actually was in twenty twelve, in July of twenty twelve. A lot of people don't realize that. That's a uh, Mayans knew. The Mayans knew. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the theory. That's the whole theory. Yeah. Uh, and people are saying that maybe CERN what we were doing was actually trying to reset tragedy basically that oh make a new timeline yeah because had <laughs> had that like so that coronal mass ejection happened in in june uh, it was in the s spring summer late spring early summer uh and um i mean for me june is summer all the time because it's so hot where i live but yeah uh, uh happened in june i think and what happened was the coronal mass ejection happened and it should have hit us. And they're saying that something knocked it off course. Something blocked it and we don't know what blocked it. We have no clue what blocked it. It should have hit us and it should have been like, it should have been it. it should have been game over. Um, something stopped it. Had it hit, um, it would have caused obviously mass devastation, nuclear winter kind of stuff, things like that. I'm saying nuclear winter. Obviously, it's not a nuclear thing, but yeah, yeah, you know the same thing. Clouding skies, yeah. all the, you know, everything changes. And um, people said that their uh, their um, projections for how long humanity would have survived would have been about six months, which would have put it at December twenty uh, first, twenty twelve, just when the Mayan calendar ended. So had that, had whatever blocked it, I don't know what blocked it, whatever changed it, uh, we don't know. But had that coronal mass ejection happened in June and hit us, I mean, it did happen. We know the sun had a coronal mass ejection in June. Had it actually hit Earth like it was supposed to have, um, then Earth, well, all life and life, human life, would have ended in December 21st, 2012, like the Mayan calendar said. So we don't know what stopped it, what deflected it, what changed our trajectory to where we didn't get hit by it. But uh, either they were really, really close with a prediction and they were just off by minutes or um, something intervened. <laughs> Interesting. So with the whole CERN thing, it's not that they did something out there. It's that they the theory is that they created a new timeline and that's why we have Mandela effects. Yeah. That they probably like crossed us into the next nearest, uh, multiverse. Basically we just <laughs> jumped over. Well, what happened to that earth? I don't know. What, 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 I wonder, I want to know what happened. We to took the place of, <laughs> like I said, it's probably a lonely, lonely, cold planet right now. Uh, that's, that's very creepy. Um, I, I was trying to think what I was doing in 2012. I think I was I think I think I was talking a lot about this from like uh, to to an ex-girlfriend. And I think I was I made her cry. <laughs> I was like talking about all the possible scenarios for the why uh, 20, 2012 everything could end. I don't know if coronal mass ejection was on the list, but uh, I do remember her in tears at one point. So that's what I was doing. God, 2012, I was super lost. <laughs> I had just gotten out. In 2010, I had just gotten out of uh, being a traveling, touring musician, and uh, I was 
starting the starting to use history degree for a life. <laughs> yeah. Getting into that. That's what I was doing in 2012. Yeah. I do know I have a Berenstain bear, Berenstain, whatever, uh, book in my parents' attic somewhere. I've got some somewhere too, and I really need to find them. I always remember Berenstain. That's the way I remember it. This stain thing. When people started talking about it, I was like, what? What? I, I was, I was, uh, that bothered me because it was always steen, not stain, but whatever. Yeah. A lot of Mandela effects I get because they're easy. I mean, I'm a big, like, I'm a big fan of magic too. Like not magic as in like actual magic, but like, you know, illusionist. Like, oh yeah. Um, yeah. So like pen and teller stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I'm fascinated with sleight of hand and mentalism and things like that and cold reading people and things like that. And so I understand how it's really easy, like Fruit Loops, Looney Tunes, things like that. I can understand those Mandela effects because your brain naturally fills in the gaps for things like that that you never really paid attention to. Like how is Fruit Loops spelled? See, you can't even oh. answer me immediately. You got to think about it. Yeah. L-O-O-P. Because yeah. the fruit part is easy. It's the loop is the question, well, right? Is the fruit part easy? Is it the no the fruit part is easy. Uh is it fruit? It's it's the loop it's the loop. Are you saying the L O L L O U P E or L O O P? No, it's Fruit Loops F R O O T S. Fruit. Oh, you're saying that part of the word. Fruit Loops or F R U I T like fruit like the fruit. I'm having to think about it too much. It's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that's how they do with like Looney Tunes. Is it T U N E S or is it T O O N S? Tunes as in cartoons, or tunes as in Looney Tunes, like like you're tuning in. Yeah. Oh, that is weird. I've also heard the little squiggle on the Ford, uh, the Ford logo, um, uh, was like a thing, and people were wondering what happened to it. And uh, I believe some guy in the in the middle of the nowhere, like the car that you know grass had grown up through it, but he found one. With with or without the squiggle, I forget I forget what the argument was there, but I know there was argument there. But I don't know. Yeah, there's a ton of those. I think a lot of them though are like just I don't know. Some of them are weird. Some of them are hmm. You just mis misremember things easy. Yeah, I I I agree with that. People people like our brains compress memory to save on storage. Like you get the gist of something, box it up and it's like embedded. And then you just keep moving forward. Like you're not going to remember every grain of detail unless you have like a freak memory. Uh, but even the guys that do like that hyper uh, memorization stuff that where they filmed them, like doing all this crazy stuff that I believe they've talked about. It, it's a technique on basically getting like the, the finer points of something and then compressing it into like an association or like an idea and then move into the next one. And then when you recall it, it's almost like the reason why you remember like words easier when there's a tune to it. it it's like the same kind of process. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Human memory is messy. Yeah, there's different ways to do it. And there's, um, there's, n they say there's no such thing as a true eidetic, which eidetic memory is someone who remembers absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, there are tricks. Uh, I don't know if I have it because of 
studying history and stuff, but, but I remember random facts, dates, things like that, obviously. Mm-hmm. I can remember phone numbers from people that I knew in seventh grade and things like that. Yeah. Um, but your brain will have to push certain things out. Like, yeah. uh, like you, it would actually be a nightmare to be a real vampire. Because if you had yeah, a yeah. and you remembered everything, you would go insane. Like, you would you would actually be senile. Like, that's how dementia happens is like actually there's a correlation with people that have like really good memory with showing early signs of dementia like you're more likely to have that later in life um so your brain has to kick something out and yeah, dementia have, yeah. okay can't just keep all that up there so <laughs> so, so basically with dementia because i remember my grandmother before she passed she had dementia and she would she would mention stuff like you know i was little then uh but she would be like talking about these things like go oh, you need to close the gates the cows will get out because she was remembering back being on the farm as a kid and so i guess the thing that was being pushed out was like the link and chronological order of all these memories rather than the memories themselves yeah and there's still a lot of study in that but um but they started to look at stuff like that for signs of like um connections to either uh uh you know dementia or um blanked out um uh, oh yeah 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 uh yeah it's interesting alzheimer's is an interesting subject because you know uh the whole thing with um uh amyloid plaque basically your brain when it thinks is creating byproducts and one of them is like amyloid beta plaques or whatever and it's just a byproduct of neurons firing so one of the risks with speeding that up, like people that take Coke or uh, methamphetamines consistently throughout their life, they're speeding up like all that synapse firing and creating more uh, amyloid beta like plaque buildup byproduct than a normal person would. So that uh, the accumulative effect would be these kind of neurotoxic things that start to destroy those connections of memories and this and that when you're older. Same thing like when the brain, I believe what their current thing about sleep is when you're sleeping, your uh, brainstem swells and, and creates this certain type of pressure where the amyloid plaque is being cleared. Like the, your brain has a process for clearing it out and, and all that kind of thing. And uh, the other thing is like people that don't get a lot of sleep, there's a correlation between that dementia and Alzheimer's and all, all that kind of thing where the same effect that all those byproducts are causing more harm uh, in the long run. Uh, yeah, I'm, I was trying to think of how we got from wartime cryptids to this. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring us back, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but I don't know that the uh, the vampire thing is is fascinating because I like those movies where punishment for a vampire amongst other vampires is just like an, it being locked eternally in a coffin. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and but they're alive forever, and they just come out if if they get released, they're absolutely insane. Yeah, they're mad at that point because they're just yeah, yeah. Thousand years of black isolation would probably do it for me too. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Um. Uh, with sorry, folks, we didn't get uh, we didn't stick on the wartime cryptids for too long. 
but it was a fun conversation. Um, I mean, do you have any anything else you want to add to uh, the game is called Ad Infinitum, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like that would be such I mean, it's been a while since there's been like a revival of survival horror. Like there's some indie developers that have made some kind of old school resurrections of like uh resident evil type games um uh with like fixed cameras so they've done pretty good but like i know that the new resident evils are coming out and everything but if there is like specifically a world war one cryptid trench nightmare game i am all i'm 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 looking into that yeah i feel like this is going to be like alien isolation but with um psychological element yeah so I mean, I, like, obviously, there's a psychological element to being scared, regardless. But this is going to be uh, because it balances back and forth between the guy in the trenches and his life at home, like he's remembering it. So uh, I think there's going to be a, a deep psychological kind of um, you know, look into it, also, and I think that's going to be fascinating. So hopefully, you know, it comes out and everything gets all the funding it needs, and it's it's legit. So. Yeah, it, do you know what studio is doing it? Is this a indie like Kickstarter kind of thing, or is this? It was really- originally a Kickstarter thing, but I mean, it's it's coming out like it's on current gen stuff. Uh, it looks really good. Um, definitely check out the trailers for it. It's all in German and subtitled, so that makes it even better because it's very authentic. Yeah. Uh, the the I mean, there's good stuff coming out of Kickstarter, like um, uh, System Shock remake. That's how yep. that happened. Now, I have I've been a backer for that for years. It, they keep like, oh, it's about to release it's about, and it, and it hasn't. But they, they're saying this year, like they're going to push it out the door. And what I heard was in the early development stages, they basically kicked everything out and restarted with the new Unreal Engine. So because c- it was simpler and everything worked better. And so they basically had to restart it. But they sent out a message to all the all the people and we're like, Hey, this is happening. But it made me play the original one uh, with the enhanced edition on the GOG uh, platform. And it's good. Like the original game is, is fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, anyone who's played Bioshock, obviously system shocks, the spiritual success or predecessor. To yeah. It. Um, and system shock two is one of the best games ever made. So, I mean, I, I hope they, I was kind of hoping with the System Shock remake it was going to be one and two kind of combined into one game. Oh, yeah. I was wishing they would just do that because Shodan is kind of like one of the best villains in, in video game history. So Maybe maybe, maybe with this, because I know that it's, it, it's pretty popular right now. Like once it's released, a lot of people are going to buy it. Hopefully that will translate to a two, but eventually. Um, last, the last really... Uh, so when I was a kid... Uh, my sister got me this game uh, for my birthday. It was a point and click game and it's called Titanic an adventure out of time. And it is a uh, very, it will like suck you into the storyline. It's so good. Basically you're this guy. Cause what you were saying about uh, the guy remembering at the, in this other game and, and you back in the trenches, it's kind of similar to that. It's a guy that is uh, during uh, a war is remembering like this mission that was on the Titanic. And so you basically 
are running around the Titanic in this weird 2.5D uh, game where you're knocking on passengers' doors and you're getting the, the storyline from like crew members and then you go out and meet someone in this weird workout room and she's like, well, I heard that he did this and here's a piece of paper and then you go and you're basically, it's like a time travel game where the Titanic was sabotaged and you have to like correct it for the timeline or whatever. Not a silent Mobius game, is it? Uh, I don't know who made it. Uh, it's a big, big, like, um, like, uh, what, what do you call it when they have those graphics where it's basically, it's not like polygons, but it's, it, it was like a green globe with lines. That was the, oh, that's the main logo. I remember. It's, it's going to be later than the one I'm thinking of. I think so. They, uh, uh silent Mobius games. is like a detective kind of game thing oh okay he also has to like fight ghosts and stuff on the titan and uh Uh, it's it's like it's like mist it's kind of like mist where you're like moving around all jankily and then you move forward and click on stuff uh but yeah i don't know i i i decided like gog is a cool platform because i believe it's a subsidiary of steam steam somehow owns uh I don't know if it's called GOG or GOG Galaxy. I it's GOG, but yeah. Anyway, so the so they have a really good system because it's di- uh, digital rights movement free. Like you don't have all this software running in the background making sure it's legit. Like it, it's it's games where they they let you just purchase it and that's that. But the um the uh. The cool thing about them is they have a ton of games from like the 80s and 90s that they've they've ported over to modern systems really well. Uh, most of it is mouse and keyboard, but some of it has decent controller emulation. I just missed the early hex war like uh, mill sims. <laughs> That's the military oh, history nerd in me. What what it, what those words I don't recognize. What is this? Uh, so like, uh, hex war kind of things are like, um, you have a battlefield, uh, with like hexagonal movement ability. Oh so yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember like the actual board game Axis and allies? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that, but, uh, in a video game setting and then you can put any war you want, like Napoleonic war, civil war. Oh, uh, um, almost like ci- uh, civilization. Yeah. Similar, but you don't have to build anything. Yeah. You have your army as it was like, uh, you can either do it in a historical setting or you can do it in a like fake, set, like a what if setting. Um, okay. Like I had ones, like I had um, the Civil War General series, which was um, uh, one and two, Civil War General one and two. And um, you basically could go through the entire campaign, go through the whole war. It would take you forever. But uh, you can pick certain battles, like certain days of certain battles. And you basically have the numbers that they had with the actual units and stuff like that. And it's a hex war where you maneuver and you can have the AI respond to you accordingly, or you can have the AI do what it did historically. And then try to like, like that's the thing about old games. uh, There's a lot of people that are younger that are missing out because they assume like they were just like janky games, but there was a lot of like, uh, detail there like a dagger fall or just the custom like okay fine the graphics are atrocious but part of me likes it because it's nostalgic but it also looks cool i mean there's a whole revival like uh like dusk 
on on PC where it's basically they're just they're intentionally making them look like old games, but they have faster gameplay with all the modern mechanics. But you like there are games with the level of custom custom. I can't even say that word. You can customize it to such a degree. It's so fun or the details in it are so fun. I was listening to a guy that was uh, doing some uh, theory on like video game theory. And one of the things he was saying is like around like the mid to late nineties when they made games like thief, like the original thieves, one of the reasons those things still hold up today is, and sometimes are better is because like in thief, you were like given like a piece of paper with a drawn out map of the map that you're in and you had to navigate and figure out how to get there. Now you have like waypoints and like a radar and you just basically just copy and paste move to these waypoints. And like, imagine if they made red dead redemption two, but you had to like traverse the land with like an old school map and there was no like radar system. I think I would like that better. Like the, the, um, the amount, cause that, whole map is already laced with all these mysterious things you just come across mm-hmm. how fun would it be if you had no waypoint markers or radar and and just a map that you had to keep going back to to kind of like figure out where you were that would be so fun yeah if you uh <laughs> if you had to navigate which by the way you see all the weird stuff on there yeah there's a lot of lot of easter eggs you can kind of like stumble upon but I love the journal system in that where it's just like you fill out the journal, you know, mm-hmm. and you come across the weird stuff. Yeah. My favorite thing that or my favorite two things coming across was uh, the serial killer that was like butchering people. And, and you'd find all these body parts every now and then with like a uh, he had he left his calling card. And then the other one was you randomly stumble across this lady that's like excavating dinosaur bones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My favorite uh, Red Dead Redemption Easter eggs are. Um, hey, are, buddy. <laughs> she just came in here. Uh, the Heaven's Gate uh, Easter egg. I don't know if you got that one or not. There is mm-hmm. a um, and I forget what area it's in because it's been so long since I played it. But there is a um, like a cabin, almost like a schoolhouse. And you walk into it and all the people are laying on tables with sheets over them. And if you go in between, like, it has to be a very specific time, like between like one thirty and two, whatever. Uh, an alien ship will come over, and like a green light will shine down, <sighs> and uh, you you can run outside and try to take a look at it, and it'll fly off before you really ever get a full. Uh, of it. That's so cool. <laughs> that's one of the best ones, and um, I love the ghost that's down in the bayou. That one's extremely hard to get. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, a ghost about a woman that was killed because, uh, I don't know, something about her lover. Her parents didn't want her to marry her lover or whatever, and she's the ghost of the bayou, and she's very hard to find. And um, if you can get that, like, small window and see her, that's a really cool one. Uh, And then the Vampire St. Denis. Never Uh, got that one. That's the best one. Oh, it's so good. Oh, so you've seen, like, YouTube videos of it? No, I've got it. Oh, he, you did. Oh, oh. He killed me. I didn't kill him. Um, I've seen YouTube videos. You can kill him and get some kind of weapon or some kind of uh, outfit or something from him. But he killed oh, me. I, I didn't kill him in time. Now I know what I'm doing but, tonight. Yeah, you got to go to. You got to like find five different vampire victims that you find in Saint Denis, and uh, and then he'll be in an alleyway. And yeah, just make sure you pull pull the trigger because I was I was so happy I found him <laughs> that I didn't realize how fast he was. So yeah, kill him. 
Kill okay. him for me. <laughs> I will kill him for you. I, I'm. You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried that Red Dead Two will be like Rockstar's last really great game. I'm. I, I know like some stuff leaked on the on the on Grand Theft Auto. I mean, first off, it, they were like testing stuff. People were all like, "Oh, it's just you know." It, they were just like animations of them testing things. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm worried that we're getting like the Grand Theft Auto was never as detailed as Red Dead Two, so I don't know if it's it's a different team of guys within the house. I don't know. I mean, even story wise, Red Dead One is better than any of the Grand Theft Autos in my mind. It was pretty good. I have some fond memories of one. Uh, I, I man, man. Uh, okay. The wh- what is the other? My okay. This is my problem with open world games. I will never finish the main storyline. I will just be wandering around looking for stuff and doing random side stuff. Like uh, I had a friend that. Uh, was really into Skyrim and I was really into Skyrim and he he watched me play one day and he's like you're not even you're you're not even out of uh what's the, the what's the first town you go white uh a white run white, yeah white run so I had already gotten a house gotten a maiden gotten all of this stuff and I had only like gone like 10% of the main storyline. He's like, how did you even do this? I, I was going all around uh, collecting stuff and leveling up in these weird ways. But that was that's the fun of it. It's like just if, if they keep making really detailed, super big open world full of stuff, like I'll be happy. But I'm worried we're getting more towards just really good graphics. Like Cyberpunk is a kind of a good example. Like it's this big open world. It was clearly released too early. I mean, they just weren't done with it. But it's if 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 like the world was more interactable, if I could just go into these buildings or just like like open doors and and like everything is just so fixed, like it's pretty to look at, but it's like you can't interact with it. It drives me nuts. Yeah, no, definitely there. Like, um, and I still don't hate it. I love that game. But Cyberpunk, um, yeah, Cyberpunk is fun, but they i now this is this is the the one hope that is never dies with me the modding scene is unreal like it used to be like oh that's pretty cool now it's crazy like you can do whatever with the right mods like uh i remember modding uh i modded uh fallout 3 so hard it was the funnest thing there were all these extra levels there was all these extra tools all these extra easter eggs all kinds of ridiculousness it got to where it was so burdensome on my computer that i was having crashes and glitches that i had never seen before like like bethesda's already glitchy enough it was just it was you couldn't play more than 30 minutes and there would be like some game breaking glitch but it was fun and next week folks we'll talk about simulation theory (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah um like uh there was this one day it was something ridiculous you know how all, there's all cross brandings these days where like dorito flavored popcorn or whatever like i'm just like making some uh or like when lays made like chicken and waffles chips yeah. and yeah or but there was some there was some weird brand me and my girlfriend were walking through kroger 
and it was like this cross like it was some weird brand mixed with another brand i want to say it was something like cheeto popcorn or just something and uh and our whole thing was like simulations breaking down <laughs> it was like when when things are getting too weird where things are like the oddest things are blending together it's like yeah the simulation where it's, it's starting to crash and glitch you got flaming hot cheeto celery yeah exactly yeah. just some bizarre some bizarre thing i wish i remember what it was because it was truly like what uh maybe it was like some like toiletry item that was scented like food it was something that bizarre oh yeah it was like like what are we doing here personally we, they've, whenever i see bacon vodka uh, <laughs> i don't i don't get that at all i'm like where what? where did that ever happen did some redneck like mix the bacon grease with uh, his freshly distilled pot accidentally and it became a thing like how does that even happen because they are technically they are diametrically opposed bacon is bacon has um has enzymes in it that break down alcohol so like really yeah so if you drink vodka one of the best things you can eat afterward is bacon because it breaks down alcohol and so i find that fascinating that they want a bacon flavored alcohol maybe that's because it's Baking, you want bacon? Maybe they're maybe, helping you out. Maybe I've I've always heard a hangover cure is like a big fatty breakfast with bacon and eggs. Eggs, yes. Eggs, yes. Um, so cytosine and eggs will break down alcohol. Um, uh, lysine uh, or lysergic acid um, that will break down alcohol. So Sprite, Sprite's very good for you. Also, the sugar in it um, will help your blood sugar and stuff like that. And then bacon, uh, I forget what it is that's in uh, in that that actually um, breaks down the alcohol. But that's yeah, bacon, eggs, and a sprite will do you good. Wow. And milk, huh. believe it or not, skim milk or uh, like low fat milk that'll hydrate you better than just water alone. So that's okay. That's that makes sense. And that's your best breakfast right there, honestly. Yeah, if you're trying to fight a hangover. That is that. Yeah, and throw in a throw in like a liquid IV and a big thing of ice water. Like yeah. I, my problem is that uh, now just thinking about alcohol gives me a hangover. Like my body is like expecting it. Like I I just don't drink anymore. That like if if like the rare occasion where it's like, all right, this is a drinking night. It I'm, I already start feeling that weird like body feel, and then the the headache comes on, and it's like a psychosomatic response to like what my body is anticipating. So I, it's just not fun anymore. Yeah. But if I ever have a good old, if, if that's even weird ever has a, 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 a drinking show, I'll be sure to stock up on bacon and ginger <laughs> I root. And I know y'all have mentioned that a few times and I'm always like, Oh God. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, I know it. It would be fun for when we record and then afterwards it would be all. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, well, folks, I'm, I'm glad you turned him to wartime cryptids last time. I'm going to say that, um, just, uh, make sure to, you know, check out all our social media, check out our TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. And, uh, I mean, we're all over the place. And, uh, and, and if you have any comments about today's episode, just go ahead and leave a comment in the comment section. And, uh, and remember, we don't want stuff that's normal. We want stuff that's effing weird. 